This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents, which you can also access at cortezcurrents.ca. Most of what's left is up in the mountains and the coast range or the Rockies and so on, and not the productive sites anymore. Most of what was easy to get is gone. That was Bruce Ellingson, one of the founders of the Cortez Community Forest Cooperative, giving his personal opinion about British Columbia's old-growth trees. In the first of two articles about current forestry practices, Ellingson looks to nature for models of a more sustainable consumption rate. A 2003 report from the Ministry of Forests states, quote, Only about 2% of BC has been permanently converted to agriculture, urban areas, and other forms of development. That means BC has almost the same amount of forest as it did prior to European settlement, unquote. 43% of BC's forests are said to be old growth, which it defines as between 120 and 140 years in the interior, where fires are more frequent, and 250 years on the coast. This document also states, quote, Due to BC's relatively short history of logging, most logging still takes place in forests that have never been harvested, including older forests. This will change over time as more second growth, or previously harvested trees, reach an approximate size for harvesting, unquote. The ministry's opinion is shifting. Last year, the province's Old Growth Technical Advisory Panel reported that less than 20% of the old growth remain. That's less than half of the amount reported only 18 years before. Landsat satellite data, published by the University of Maryland and reproduced at the top of the written version of this article, shows that there's been an alarming loss of forests on Vancouver Island and in the interior of British Columbia during the past 20 years. Less accessible areas in the north of the province, or in the coastal and rocky mountains, are relatively untouched. In a previous interview, Ellingson explained that the discrepancy between the government and satellite descriptions of the province's forest coverage may be because trees less than 5 meters high do not show up in Landsat images. So much of the light-covered areas that appear as tree loss in the university's map may be covered by what are in effect tree toddlers. These trees will be harvested once they are between 50 and 80 years old. To use a comparison with human lives, they will effectively be pre-teens with a far greater proportion of sapwood than is present in mature trees. We're the ones that are managing it and, and we're the ones that are going to have the impact. If we want to do it in a sustainable way, then we've got to look for indicators that will give us a guidance as to whether we are going to be able to achieve that goal of having that ecosystem that grows trees for us be able to sustain itself over time. Sid Billingson. The first clue that I got toward looking for that was in around 1990 when I was told by a friend that they'd seen a Nature of Things program on CBC where scientists had been studying the dynamic between peregrine falcons and the ancient murrelet or mirrors, the seabirds coming ashore to lay their eggs and rear their young on the western islands of Haida Gwaii. And that after 17 years of studying, the report I got was that they had concluded that the peregrines were probably taking around 15 to 20 percent of the mean annual seabird population increase for the peregrine and their chicks' needs during that breeding period. That seemed to be the sustainable level of consumption or extraction that uh, had been going on there, probably for thousands of years. 
So that got me thinking that possibly there's indicators in natural system dynamics in the world that we could look at if they've been studied to the point where scientists have come to something of a similar conclusion about what's going on between something that's in most cases predating some other organism and what has been demonstrated to be sustainable over the long run. And that was not easy to find because there was a challenge for me, especially being a relative neophyte or not very conversant with computer internet searching and so on to get the right terminology typed in there for my search. When Jenny and I went up to Churchill in 2003, a parks attendant at, at Churchill for the natural polar bear reserve was saying that the polar bears rely about 95% of their diet, annual diet, is ring seals out on the ice when the ice forms and they can get out there and, and uh, predate the ring seal population. That led me to a Dr. Ian Sterling, if I remember his name correctly, from the University of Alberta, who had been studying them for decades. You can imagine the challenge of going out on the ice and trying to figure out just what these polar bears and how many seals they're catching and what type, type and size of seals and all the other dynamics that are going on there. But the long and the short of it was from a couple of reports that he and others had accumulated and, and published that they were getting the impression that the polar bears were taking or eating about uh, 13 to 22 percent of the seal population. And there's another dynamic that's been going on for millennia, if not tens of thousands of years, and apparently is sustainable as an indicator. Then it was a number of years after that that I come across a New York Times article about the leafcutter ants in the semi-tropical areas of Central America anyway. I think that's a study we was coming out of. And they were demonstrating, the scientists that were researching that, that the leafcutter ants were taking about 13 to 20% of the vegetative growth from the shrubs and trees and so on that were in the area each colony controlled each year for their colony's requirements. And that has been going on for something around 50 to 60 million years. The last example that I got, which is the only one I could find of a human-managed system so far, came from uh, the southern... New Zealand Island and the Rocky Islands offshore there that the Maoris for at least 700 years orally recorded up until 100 years or so ago and then the last 100 years has been written, documented about how much of the seabird egg production that came, seabirds that came ashore to lay their eggs on the islands there was being harvested by the Maoris and that was about 18%. That had been going on for about 700 years and Obviously, you can start to say that's a reasonably sustainable dynamic for a population that is reproducing annually. So there's another further illustration of a similar dynamic of that 15 to 20 percent range, roughly speaking, of a extraction or consumptive that is demonstrably sustainable from, from the natural world and some of the studies that I was able to find. Subsequently, Herb Hammond, who's Silver Forest Foundation ecosystem-based forestry originator, or certainly in on the ground floor of that, sent along a comment saying that he had been in conversation with Dr. Jerry Franklin at the University of Washington, a well-known forester, ecologist, and so on, 
over decades actually, while Herb was developing his ecosystem-based forest uh, thoughts and eventually the, the book that he wrote about it and the way that he approached forest management. And they had sort of come to a general agreement that probably up to maybe 25% of what grows in a forest is extra. And then when I say what grows, what is grown each year. In, in other words, what we conventionally refer to as the mean annual increment of the growth of the forest. Up to 25% of that might be extra beyond what the forest needs itself to keep itself alive and healthy and sustain itself. Those all fall into the same category of that range of extraction or consumption or predation that that leads me to conclude that somewhere around the same rate of extraction would be a sustainable approach to managing forestry in the long run. You've been listening to an interview with Bruce Ellingson about the sustainable rate for harvesting forests. Cortez Currents also contacted two other Cartesians involved in forestry, one of which, one of whom referred, deferred to Ellingson, and the other is yet to reply. Mosaic will be unveiling its three-year plan for logging Cortez Island on Thursday, January 27, 2022. A spokesman for the company said they will consider an interview after that. This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. Goodbye. <laughs>